I'm Hermine Hartman with Indigo Studio. Today, a very, very special guest, the one and only, the doctor, the eminent professor, Dr. Cornell West. He's a member of America's academic community, having authored and co-authored 20 books and still writing. He's a professor, he's been a professor at Union Theological Seminary, Harvard, Yale, Divinity, and the University of Paris amongst them. At Princeton, he created a new department, Department of African American Studies. It's been called the best in the world. His intellectual discourse as a critical thinker has received applause, but also critique. He's been likened to another Harvard professor, Dr. W.E. Dubois, and Henry Gates claims him to be the preeminent African-American intellectual of our generation. And he himself, well, he describes himself as a religious intellectual freedom fighter. So I'm here to let my precious brothers and sisters and siblings know that when I think of where I come from, for every generation, we have love warriors who are willing to live and who are willing to die. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I'd rather be dead than afraid. I'd rather be a corpse than a coward. We need courage. So when you hear all the lies that hide and conceal the crimes, remember what Brother Martin used to say, no lie can live forever. Truth crush the earth shall rise again. I see it in your faces. I see it in your eyes. I see it in your hearts. I see it in your bodies. He's a progressive intellectual. He's a professor of divinity, history, and philosophy. And he's an independent candidate in the 2024 presidential election. And the late fashionista, Andre Talley says he's one of the best-dressed men in America. Well, I consider him to be a jazz man, through and through, because in his writing, and I think his most prolific book, Race Matters, he compares race to jazz, improvisation and fluidness. Let me read something from the book for you. This is what he writes. He says, I use the term jazz not so much as a term to describe music, but as a mode of being in the world, an improvisation mode of protein, fluid, and flexible dispositions towards reality, suspicion of either or, viewpoints, dogmatic pronouncements, or supremacist ideologies. Now, I wonder what he was doing when he wrote that. He just came from church, he told me. <laughs> and to be a jazz freedom fighter is to attempt to galvanize and energize world-weary people into forms of organization with accountable leadership. I must tell you, as I do public speaking, that's my opening line. As I say, Dr. Cornell West said, now figure that out, right? Lord, Lord. Dr. West. Lord. Thank you, it thank you, thank you. It is a blessing to be with you. Thank you. A joy to have a conversation with you. Thank you. And you honor me so, and you honor my mother and my father with those powerful words. I words must, are powerful. I must say. Listen. But you're such a force for good, and this channel is so blessed to have you. Thank when you. When you talk about jazz, you, your uncle, Johnny Hartman, the one and only Lush Life with John Coltrane is the greatest collection of ballads with an instrument and the words, and here you are.
part of that rich tradition, part of that rich legacy. I want to, we're going we're gonna to talk about a lot of things. If we start talking about jazz now, we're going we're gonna <laughs> to get lost. So, Dr. West, we are in an unusual moment of history, a precarious position almost, as we see states for the school system banning books, as we see uh, an attempt to even rewrite history, African-American history, to say the slaves benefited from slavery. What, what, what is your thinking to ban uh, James Baldwin, to ban your favorite author, Toni Morrison, from, from, from what should be traditional reads, particularly in the South. What's your thinking on that? What's, what's going on there intellectually in scholarship? Well, it, it, it disturbs me deeply because I try to be committed to the truth and the condition of truth is to allow suffering to speak. But for so long, America, at its worst, has been predicated on the efficacy of lies. America's been afraid of the truth. They don't want to hear the voices of those who have suffered, those who have been enslaved, Jim Crow, Jane Crow, degraded and demeaned. Why? Because it's a challenge. And, the, and to keep the lies in place is to keep these little silos of comfort and convenience rather than being unsettled. Now, education is about what? Being unsettled. Learning. Unsettling your mind. Mm -hmm. Learning. And when you learn something, you are challenged. So what's the challenge? The challenge is, is that we've got to make sure that the truth is made available to our fellow citizens, which means we've got to bring power and pressure to bear on those who want to ban, who those who want to preserve their lives. We've seen something happen that's most unusual at Harvard. Uh, where you taught, and that is Professor uh, Dr. Claudine Gay resigning from her position after six months. What's your thinking on that? Yeah, I think we're at a moment now where big money tries to dictate educational policy because a lot of that had to do with a threat, you see. These folk got together and said, we're not going to give you this big money unless the board does X or Y, unless the board gets rid of her. Same thing happened at the University of Pennsylvania. Right, same thing. Now, is it a threat to diversity and inclusion and equity as we have experienced it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's also a threat to truth and justice because as important as diversity and equity and inclusion are, they've got to be subservient to truth and justice because the educational system has got to be predicated on a fallible quest for truth. Do you think she should have resigned? No, no, I think no, she should have. I think she, she should have fought. fought it out. Where is black America 2024? You know, black America always has its magnificent geniuses, talents, create, creative, courageous folk. There's always a cloud of witnesses out there, going back to Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, all the way up through the Tony Morrisons and the uh, Johnny Hartmans and John Coltrane's and Lena Horns and Nina Simone's and others. But at the same time, too much of black America is, is, is in confusion. Because? because the, we're in a desperate situation. 
very much so. But we've always been in a desperate situation, 400 years, you see. But when you're in a desperate situation and at the same time you have a leadership that's not courageous enough, because they're looking to spokespersons and leaders to provide some clarity and to provide some example of integrity. When you say leadership, what leadership? You're talking about presidential leadership or black no, leadership, black leadership, leadership across the board, church, mosque, oh. or educational leadership, political leadership. Absolutely. Think Martin Luther King Jr. Think Malcolm X. Think Fannie Lou Hamer. Think the high levels. Jesse Jackson. These are the ones who loved us so. They told the truth and were willing to live and die for it. That's leadership. When you ask young folk these days, Who's willing to die for you because they love you enough to tell the truth? Tupac. Oh, Tupac gone now. Who else? Well, I mean, they got a few out there, but not too many. When you and I were coming along, that's a long line. That's a long line. We got Stokely. We got Diane Nash. We got James Lawson. We got Huey Newton. We got Angela Davis. It goes on and on. And there were different folk. It wasn't all in one church. Different wasn't all in one politics. Mm -hmm. We had Harold Washington. We can go on and on and on. We got Dwight McKee. We got folk who love us enough to tell the truth with a smile and style and say, I want to empower you. You think that's gone? It's not gone, but it's weak. But we bounce them back because the younger generation is hungry for it now. Very hungry. Oh, that's the important thing. We got some young brothers and sisters out there who are hungry for the truth and justice of what Ashwin Snipson called the real thing. So you have chosen to become a presidential candidate 2024 election. Why? Just want to bear witness, tell the truth, pursue justice. It's the same tradition I've always been a part of. It's just spilling over into politics now. Believe in you. Believe with the support from City Colleges of Chicago, you can find the tools to write your own future. Love it, live it with classes at City Colleges of Chicago. ComEd is preparing the electric grid and providing incentives to make it possible for more households and businesses to make the switch to electric products, like clothes dryers, induction cooktops, water heaters, heating and cooling systems, and even electric forklifts. Learn more about how we can help create a clean energy future for all. Believe in you. Believe with the support from City Colleges of Chicago, you can find the tools to write your own future. Love it, live it with classes at City Colleges of Chicago. Let's look at black leadership yes, in short yes. order. Yes, yes. I'm going to give you some names. I want you to tell me how they changed the course of America. Oh, yes. Frederick Douglass. Oh, my God. I don't have a language for Brother Frederick Douglass. Oh, his deep love, courage. He was the greatest uh, orator of the 19th century, and that included the enslaved, the non-slaved, the citizens, Europeans, Africans, Asians across the board. How could my brother be born enslaved mm -hmm. African? Mm -hmm. Be the deepest orator. Mm -hmm. He put a smile on Cicero's face. Cicero wrote the great book on the orator, the greatest orators of Greece, Demosthenes, and other than Rome. And Including Frederick, Frederick Douglass. Well, Frederick Douglass took that tradition to yes. the height. 
Yes. But he used it as a form of weaponry to empower poor people. Dr. Martin Luther King. Lord have mercy. He's the greatest love warrior and freedom fighter of the middle part of the 20th century. Paul Robeson. Paul Robeson, Lord have mercy. He paid such a major cost. He was the most famous Negro in the world in 1839 with Othello in London. Mm -hmm. And he ends up under house arrest of 4645 Walnut Street in his sister's house in Philadelphia because he brought a critique to bear on the United States. So, he took the United States to the United Nations for the violation of human rights and said, we charge. Genocide. Genocide, December 17th, 1951. That's a bad brother. But look at the cost that he had to pay. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lord. Have Malcolm X. Malcolm was the freest black man other than Richard Pryor in the 20th century. Other than Richard Pryor? Mm, yeah, Richard Pryor was a free black man. He was way out there. He was free as he can be. Now, he had different kind of freedom. But Malcolm X had much more of a political bend and a moral bend than Richard Pryor. Muhammad Ali is in that special little group, too, of a free black man. Repeat that for me. He was only ever him. Reverend Jesse Jackson. Oh, Reverend Jesse Jackson, towering figure, tightening in the movement for not just black freedom, but for oppressed people all the way. Now, Jesse Jackson's a rhetorical genius. It's hard to find somebody who could bring the language together in such a way, but do it with the style that really touches brothers and sisters on the block. You see, Frederick Douglass's style was very classical, so that, you know, he's using some words that some of the brothers and sisters in the barbershop and beauty salon may have to go to the dictionary for. Reverend Jackson. Brother Jesse Jackson's a rhetorical genius of a different kind, because he knows that language, but he also can speak the language that touched the hearts and minds and souls of those slides don't call everyday people. He can break it down. He can break it down. That's that's it. President Barack Obama. Brother Barack Obama's historic figure being the first head of the American Empire, the first president of the United States. He himself actually is is a fine speaker. I don't think he's at the level anywhere near with Douglas and so forth. He's lecturer. A, it's, it's more of a lecture. Of course, he taught at the University of Chicago here at the law school for many years. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Mm -hmm. uh, Donald Trump has changed politics in America, not just the Republican Party. How, what is the Trump factor? What is it? You know, the Trump factor is the gangster factor, that he's made being a gangster fashionable and faddish so that you can lie chronically. You could trash your foes chronically, and you can do it in such a way that you become part of the mainstream thoroughly. And that is point of the, um, the poison in the culture. We've always had that. But when that becomes uh, so evident and so flagrant, and it's predicated on one thing, I can do it with no accountability. No accountability. I can say and do anything I want with no accountability, no responsibility, no answerability whatsoever. Do you see him as a threat to democracy? Oh, sure. Absolutely, absolutely. How do the ratings go up in spite of indictments, in spite of possible jail, 
in spite of fortune being lost real, and not being able to practice real estate. Compare that. It's not a majority of fellow citizens, right. but it is a significant slice. That's right. But it's predicated on two things. One is that, I mean, xenophobia and white supremacy is as American as apple pie. Part of American democracy. You ain't lies. You push that button, you already got a certain kind of following, no matter what, you see. But in addition, though, the alternative, you see, that Trump emerges at a time in which the Democratic Party itself has become so arrogant and become so haughty in terms of poor and working people. It's, it's become the party of the professionals and the educated class. And Trump presents himself as always pointing out the hypocrisy of the educated class, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, and so forth. The elite. The elite, absolutely. And that elite has become hypocritical. It has become condescending. If you can't treat the brother and sister whatever color on the block with respect, Something's wrong. Believe in you. Believe with the support from City Colleges of Chicago, you can find the tools to write your own future. Love it, live it with classes at City Colleges of Chicago. ComEd is preparing the electric grid and providing incentives to make it possible for more households and businesses to make the switch to electric products, like clothes dryers, induction cooktops, water heaters, heating and cooling systems, and even electric forklifts. Learn more about how we can help create a clean energy future for all. Believe in you. Believe with the support from City Colleges of Chicago, you can find the tools to write your own future. Love it, live it with classes at City Colleges of Chicago. So let's 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 push forward and let's say you win presidency. Name mm -hmm. the three things top of your agenda. What would you do? Well, first thing I'd do is abolish poverty. Oh, abolish we it. Abolish poverty. I'm an abolitionist just like Douglas and Ida B. Wells, Barnett from Chicago. Abolition. They want to abolish Jim Crow. Ida did. And Frederick wants to abolish slavery. I want to abolish poverty. I don't want one homeless brother or sister. I don't want any poor people whatsoever. I want basic income. I want to make sure they have access to quality education. I want education, for free education. I want free health care for everybody. And I want to zero in on specific needs of those who need medical care. Because, you know, a lot of times black women have different kinds of treatments than other women. Well, we got to make that a priority. Why? Because I come out of Matthew 25. What you do for me is what you do for the least of these. And the least of these are who? Precious human beings catching hell who deserve care and satisfaction of their needs. Number two. Second thing would be I want to bring back significant numbers of the 800 military units around the world. I want to dismantle the American empire such that we don't need to be an empire that other nations defer. I want the United States to be a decent, dignified nation among nations. We don't need to have a military budget bigger than the next 10 countries combined. So you want the leaders, the leader of the nations? I want the leader USA. of the nations. I want to disinvest significantly from military and reinvest in people. Okay. In education, health care, 
That's Dr. King, Poor People's Campaign. That's exact. That's the legacy. That's it. Number three. I would leave it up to the folk to make a choice between how we come to terms with ecological crisis and the fossil fuel industry and the oil and coal industry on the one hand. And on the other hand, I would want them to help me wrestle with the power of Wall Street and Silicon Valley. When you got 1% of the population that has 41% of the wealth, or three individuals. You want to cut into million. the economic system and the so structure. I want, so I want to turn it, you want to turn it upside down. down. That's exactly right. When you teach, because you are a teacher, mm. whatever else you might be. That's true. You are a and teacher. You're one of the few to hit that nail on the head. That's really what my That's calling what you are. is. You're absolutely right. What do you want your students to learn? I want my students to follow the Negro National Anthem, which is to lift every voice, but first in order to lift it, they got to find it. You got to find your voice. And you only find your voice by learning how to think for yourself critically, love for yourself intimately. Critical, what do you think about the critical race theory? Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It just simply says that you never understand American history unless you understand the voices of those who've been enslaved, Jim Crow, Jane Crow, lynched, and discriminated against. And you gotta be critical about it, and right? You gotta be critical about it. That's what's exactly the, so what's right. The so you big, say, what's so controversial what's big, about that? Yes. How could that be a controversial? Unless you're not interested in the truth. And you're not interested in critical race theory. Or just even critical the, thinking. There you go. That's in the exactly first place. Right. In the first place. That's right. That's exactly That's right. That's right. So what's your next book? What you working on? I'm giving the Gifford Lectures at University of Edinburgh in Scotland in May. It's like kind of like the Nobel Prize of Philosophy with John Dewey and William James and Alfred North Whitehead and Gabriel Marcel and others have given. And uh, it's called A Jazz-Soaked Philosophy for our catastrophic times from Socrates to Coltrane. So we start with Socrates and we end up with the greatest tradition of the 20th century, which is the black musical tradition with its artistic genius, spiritual fortitude and moral courage. This is a lecture that is going to become, that's going to develop into a book. Six lectures. A series of six. That's right. You're going to tape them? Oh, Lord, yes. Absolutely. Now, What's the name sure of it again? A Jazz-Soaked Philosophy for Our Catastrophic Times from Socrates to Coltrane. Where are you teaching at now? Union Theological Seminary. Yeah, with the great James Cone, the founder of Black Liberation Black Liberation Theology. Theology. We taught together for many years. He was there for 50 years. We have seen media in America, in the world really, change. I say for the first time, we have had real communications because before social media, the communication was really dictatorial That's because true. you couldn't talk back to it. That's what do you true. think about a media as it exists today? Well, I think it's a beautiful thing in terms of allowing different voices to be heard, but it could be a very limited thing in terms of allowing too many echoes to be heard. If it's just an echo from a silo, somebody's hate, and somebody's emotion, then you don't have any critical reflection. Mm -hmm. But if it's a real voice, people working things through, 
trying to think critically, trying to communicate honestly. It'll come through. That'll come through. So let, let me ask you this. I went to New York for um, holiday this year, and I visited the exhibit of Jay-Z at the Brooklyn uh, Library, and something disturbed me. Mm. Jay-Z is purporting himself as a god. That's dangerous. Well, it's very dangerous. You might have read Michael Dyson, our friend, and uh, New York Times wrote an article on Beyonce being a religious experience. God, Jay-Z, Beyonce, are we taking that too far? What do you think about that assessment? Well, I mean, As they one, describe themselves. One, we start with Brother Jay-Z. He's an artistic genius, but the brother ain't no God. Okay, I mean, thank I know you very Jay -Z. much. I know Jay-Z. We worked together. We had dialogues together. And I, one thing I can testify, he's a genius, but he ain't a God. Okay. He's a human being just like me. Okay. Uh, and the second thing about Beyonce, Beyonce is a great entertainer. We've had great entertainers in our history. Mm-hmm. Good God, who do you think Jackie Wilson was? Mm -hmm. yeah. But, is it a uh, religious experience? But yeah, it's 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 cultural and it has a spiritual element if it's deep. I mean, Al Green can take you to some places that are spiritual. Ain't no doubt about that. But when you start talking about religious as if it's God-centered, no, I radically call that into question too. Did you read the? Did you read? I read the article. Yeah, Dyson was extravagant. It was excessive. He went too far. Oh, thank you so he went too far. much. Oh, absolutely. But it, but see, remember he said, I, I interviewed her in the back. See, he becomes he becomes an embedded journalist, which means what? You're so biased, you don't want to tell the full truth. So what do you think today we say, we journalism challenge, and journalists are now storytellers? What do you think about that? Well, when our greatest journalist, Ida B. Wells Barnett, she told some powerful stories. Always put a bounty on her head. Thousands and thousands of dollars, right? Tennessee, Chicago, working with T. Thomas Fortune in New York, New York Age. Uh, but stories come in a variety of different forms. So it's a different, it's a, is it still journalism though? That's my question. That's what I challenge my colleagues with. You're doing storytelling, but are you doing journalism? Well, that's true, because journalism got to do, have to be about reporting. Okay. You got right. to be able to report. Now, good storytelling can report now. And can be journalism. And can be journalism. Okay. But there are forms of story that are not journalism. That's right. And there are forms of journalists who view themselves as journalists, but they haven't met the criteria yet. This is what Trump is. has conquered. Oh, he, well, he's tried to tell crush him. a story that, in the form of a lie. That's tell a story. And, and retell, retell. I didn't say truth. That's right. I said a story. No, it's true. Okay. You're right about that. Dr. West, you are profound. You are prolific. I think you are a genius level, and I thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, your intellect with us. And I don't speak in a spirit of hatred. I speak in a spirit of love for oppressed folk. Don't get it twisted. We're trying to have some space of morality and spirituality in a moment of overwhelming barbarity. Now I can hear the voices of Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass. I can hear the voices. They're not just isolated names. 
They are forces in history that constitute our souls so that we can straighten our backs up. And Brother Martin used to say, anytime, everyday people straighten their backs up, they're going somewhere because folk can't ride your back unless it's bent. Our backs are straight. Our backs are ready. We are fortified. We ready to fight.